are wrapping up our series on worship this morning, and uh, this time the children are dismissed for Children's Church. This is the last Sunday that we are flip-flopping the order. Next week we'll be back to the regular way of doing things, but for the past three weeks, well, I think we'll be back to the regular things. I don't know, Kendall's filling in for me next week, so it might be, it might be a little bit different than, than normal. Uh, that's not a slam uh, at all. Um, but uh, we, we will get back to the regular order of worship next week. Uh, and um, the reason we've done this is because we wanted to present to you some of the things that the Bible has to say about worship and then get into our music and, and sing um, after we have heard some spiritual truth about what God's Word says concerning uh, worship. And the whole purpose for this is to uh, understand that, that worship is, is uh, it's more than just... Uh, showing up on Sunday morning, and worship is something that we should be excited about. It's something that we should be uh, prepared for. It's something that we should anticipate, and we should be uh, just waking up on Sunday mornings, not being able to, to wait to get here. And so we want to try to create that type of, of setting in, in our services. I don't want to be like the guy in the story that I heard about um, re recently, there was a, a paramedic who was interviewed on a Dallas TV talk show program, and the interviewer said, what is the most unusual call or the un most unusual run that you've ever had as a paramedic? And, and the guy said, well, recently, we got a call from that big white church on 11th and Walnut Street, and a frantic usher was very concerned because a guy had passed out during the worship service, and they couldn't get a a pulse and he appeared to be dead and the interviewer said well what is so unusual about that that seems pretty regular he said well we carried out four guys before we got the right one now I don't want you to mistakenly be carried out of here because we're worshiping just like I don't know like we don't want to be here or, or like it's an obligation or, or like it's just routine. I want us to enthusiastically come into the house of God and be ready to worship Him and praise Him. You know? One thing that I have discovered in my years of ministry is that we have the wrong idea about what worship actually is. I think we have reduced our worship to, when we say we worship God, we have reduced our worship to what happens here on Sunday morning between 10 and 11 o'clock. Our worship is we just gather in the building, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, give an offering, take communion, and go home. Okay, we've worshiped, but I think the Bible teaches something very different than that, right? I think sometimes we even limit worship to just music. We even call those up here who are leading us in worship, in singing, we call them the worship team, as if that's the only part of worship, what the team is doing here, right? Worship is so much more than that. And if you have, if you have reduced your worship to just music, then coming to church might not be very exciting for you. But what we're trying to get to in this series, or what we've been trying to get to in this series, is the heart of worship. And we've even said, music is great, but Jesus is greater. And if your whole experience is just what the music is, or what the service is like, then you could fall prey to this 
worship service becoming routine to you. What you need to understand is Jesus is greater than anything that we can do in this building. Okay? I don't want you to be one of the people that a paramedic takes out of here on a Sunday morning if something were to happen. A.W. Tozer said this, any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. What do you think heaven's going to be like when we get there? Right? I don't know. I don't really know. I'm going to guess we don't, I, we may have padded chairs. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have a screen. I don't know if we're going to have lights. I know we're not going to have a fog machine. That ain't, no, that, we don't need it. We got clouds, right? So we don't really need that. But some church services are, are I, I get it, some are more exciting than others. Some worship song set lists are, are, are more uh, engaging than others and maybe more exciting, maybe a little bit better. Some sermons are less boring to you than others are. But worship is so much more than just these things. And I think that's part of the problem in the church is that we've limited it to that. And so... We need to cultivate this lifestyle of worship so that when we come here on Sunday morning, it's just a small fraction of what we've been doing the other six days of the week. It's a lifestyle. Here's what worship leader Graham Kendrick said. Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. But it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you worship. Obey Him in everything that you do. And it should be our desire to worship God every single day of our lives. Not just at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We do it every single day of our lives. And we also do it corporately. It's, it's both. It's not either or. And I feel as though many churches across this nation... Worship, as I said a moment ago, out of obligation more than desire. And I can't see into your hearts like God can. I don't know, and, and maybe that's not you, but I'm going to guess that maybe some of us have been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. But I see a huge difference when I look at what's happening in other countries, and I see what's happening in the United States of America with our worship. I see a huge difference, right? You look at the churches in China. You look at the churches in Iran. You look at the churches in Africa. You look at the churches in India. You see these, these, these Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. They walk into a church building, maybe on a Sunday morning, and, and they don't know if they're going to walk out of it or not. There was a story that, that happened just last weekend. The news didn't cover it very much. Shocking. Um, Terrorists walked into a Catholic church in southwest Nigeria, maybe you heard about this, and they opened fire in a church service, and they detonated explosives, and according to the reports, at least 70 people were killed. People all over the world are worshiping in churches. And in their homes and underground, not knowing if their faith is going to cost them their life or not. And what we do is we limit our worship to just, well, whether we can make it on Sunday morning or not. He 
You know what's happening in these countries where Christians are being persecuted? It's just like what happened in the early church. Tertullian church history historians said the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. These churches that are being persecuted for their faith, the church is absolutely exploding numerically because it's filled with true worshipers. It's filled with people who have a desire to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known. Not just some folks that feel like they're carrying out their duty. And, and again, I'm not, if it sounds like I'm getting on you, I, I kind of apologize. <laughs> I don't know where you're at. Only you can answer that. But I want to tell you, I have been where I'm talking about right now. Even as a minister, going through the motions, because it's what I'm supposed to do. And God wants so more, so much more than that from us. He created us with a desire to worship. He created us that way. Listen to what the psalmist says in chapter 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. David wanted to worship. He had this desire to worship. He had this innate desire to just want to uh, pour his heart out to the Lord and, and be in his house and in the presence of other people worshiping him. He had seen the hand of God in his life work miraculous things even in spite of his mistakes. You think about what God has done in your life. What has God brought you through. Think about the mistakes that you have made and the fact that he still loves you and he cares for you and he even wants to be in your presence. Think about that when you come to worship. David wanted to worship. I want you to follow along with me on the screen as I read, and, and this is a little bit lengthy. It's 20 verses from chapter 66, the book, book of Psalms. It says, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. See, he's looking back on all of the things that God has done. Not only for him personally, but for the nation of Israel. He's looking back at all of these things that God has done. And he says, see, he turned the sea into dry land. And they passed through the waters on foot. So because of that, come let us rejoice in him. He rules forever. By his power, his eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison, laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads and went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. So he's saying, listen, all these, there were, there were these bad things that happened, but you brought us to this place of abundance. And because of that, I will come into your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come in here, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. 
I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. Knowing the attributes of God, knowing how good he is, knowing what he's done for you, it causes us to worship. And when we get to know him personally, we can't help but worship him regularly. I think the problem in a lot of churches is this. We don't know him personally like we should. We know about him, but we don't take the time through our lifestyle, through our daily uh, devotions and Bible reading and prayer time. We don't take the time to get to know him. But once we do really get to know him intimately, we can't help but worship Him in everything that we do. And I, here's, here's what I think, and, and I might offend some people with this, but, but I, I'm not above that. I did it last night singing a really silly song in front of a bunch of other Christian artists. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I think, I think there's far too many people who are acquaintances with God rather than in an intimate relationship with Him. And when we get to know who God really is, when we get to know the attributes of God and know that He cares so much for us and what God has done for us, that causes us to praise. What God has done for me personally, that causes me to want to worship, to desire to worship. But I think what has happened in the church here in America and some other parts of the world too is we've become too comfortable. We've become too complacent. Here, this bothers me a little bit. We talk about people being lost, and it doesn't bother us as much as what the other political party might have done sometimes. I see Christians getting more worked up over politics, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved. I, we should be involved, but when we get more worked up over politics than we do over the fact that people are lost and going to hell, that's a problem, church. We say, well, you know, people are dying. They're, they're not going to hell. Well, what a shame. That's too bad. But mention taking away our guns. And don't get me wrong. I'm a Second Amendment guy, right? I am. I believe in it. But man, we talk about taking away guns. And we're, man, we plaster it all over Facebook. We get all fired up. Boom, 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 boom. We're just going all crazy. When was the last time you did that for Jesus? All right, since I'm really setting people off, let's just keep going. We sing, God bless the USA. And I have never heard that song sung without people standing up, and rightfully so. I'm for it. I'm with it. I sing it. I'm for it. Stand up when we sing it. But we sing, Jesus paid it all. We sit there like bumps on a log. It's got to change. Again, you sing God bless the USA tomorrow, I'm going to stand. But when we sing songs about Jesus and we just sit there like, I don't like this song. Now, that's, too, that's too old. That's too traditional. 
That's too new. That's too contemporary. That's too loud. That's too soft. Guys, you know this. Politicians are not going to spiritually change this world for the better. Guns aren't going to change this world spiritually. Wars are not going to spiritually change this world. The only hope for the world is Jesus Christ. And the only way the world is going to know about Jesus Christ is when his church starts to genuinely worship him. And I'm not even just talking about in here. I'm talking about outside the four walls of the church every single day of our lives. He created us to worship him, to know him, to worship him with everything that we are, everything that we have. Let me give you four reasons why. If you don't already have reasons to worship, let me give you four reasons why I think the Bible teaches we should worship Him. One is we're called to do it. 1 Peter 2, 5-9, through 9, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're, we're priests. We're a holy priesthood. We should be offering our sacrifices of praise to him. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe. Right? That's why we're here, right? We all say we believe, right? To you who believe, this stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the psalmist in chapter 150 verse 6 says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Worship is not optional for a believer. We, we make it optional. It's not. God is worthy of our praise. That's the second reason we should worship. God is worthy of our praise and worship. Don't you think he is? Psalm 18, verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Worthy of our praise. When we worship him, in fact, the word worship, the Greek word, when you look at it, is basically worthship, translated. We are attributing worth. How much is God worth to you? Right? If the way that we worship is an indication of how much he is worth to us, most of the time we have not adequately shown him how much we care about him. Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And when we start worshiping like that, I think there's a change in us. I think worship like that changes us. I know we don't like change. Amen? Nobody does except a wet baby. If you're the type that doesn't like change, God can still work through you. But if you're a person who refuses to be changed by God, if you're a person who refuses to be transformed by God, I think that becomes an issue. 
Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says in the New Living Translation. So all of us who have had the veil removed, in other words, all of us who are believers, we've had the veil, as the Bible says, removed from our eyes, and the veil has been torn because of what Jesus did, and we have access to God. So all of us who believe in that, all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. He wants to change us into His image. He wants us to be as much like Him as possible. And I believe with all my heart that you become like what you attribute worth to. Okay, you become like what you start to say matters or what you worship. Let's just call it worship. Anything that we put ahead of God, it's idolatry and we start to worship that. And so you start putting these things ahead of God. You start to become like those things. And so if you worship uh, superficial things, monetary things, your life becomes superficial. If you worship perverted things, your life becomes perverted. If you worship evil things, your life becomes evil. If you worship Jesus. You become like Him. And I believe that praise and worship is one of the greatest tools that we have to defeat the enemy. I believe the enemy knows that, and that's why he likes to cause worship wars within the church. I really do. Satan, the enemy, a.k.a. Lucifer, you know what got him kicked out of heaven? He wanted to be like God. He wanted the praise and the worship of heaven that God was getting. He's never gotten the worship that he's wanted. And so if he can't get what he wants, what do you think the natural thing is for him to do? Try to get into that area to destroy it for us. He's going to fight it. There's even some theories that think that Satan might have been the worship leader of heaven. Now, I don't know. I've done a little bit of research on that. That might be a little bit of a stretch. Might not. But I guarantee you, at the very least, he was supposed to be worshiping God, and he wasn't. And so, since he got kicked out of heaven for wanting what God wanted, he's going to try to pervert and cause wars within our churches to keep us from true worship. Gordon Moat sings a song called Meanwhile Back at the Cross. And the, cross, the song depicts a conversation between Satan and his demons. And, and the second verse goes like this. And see if this doesn't ring true in some churches. Maybe even has happened here a time or two. The devil said we'll use their pride. We'll attack them from inside. Fill their hearts with vanity. Till their differences are all they see. Black and white, rich and poor, to justify their holy war. So many churches are letting Satan win this war. But I believe that praise defeats our enemy. And that's the next thing that I want you to see, the last thing, the reason why we praise him. It defeats him. You know? I believe that's why Satan works through people sometimes within churches to thwart an effective worship service. I believe this is why Satan is daily doing things in our lives to prevent us from worshiping him daily with everything that we do. Right? He, he's, he's feeding your brain He's filling your mind with things that's going to take you away from really fulfilling your call to worship Jesus 24-7. You know? 
And he does it different ways for different people. As the old saying goes, if, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And if he can make you busy, you don't have time to worship him in your daily lifestyle like God wants you to. And then he's got you right where he wants you. The psalmist put it this way. You have, uh, and in, in reference to that, how we need to be. He says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. That's what we need to be about. Psalm 149, 5 and 6. Let the faithful rejoice. That he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. How do we do it? How do we worship God? You say, Ron, that sounds great. I'm in. All right. I'm buying into what you're saying. Even though you ticked me off early on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you now. Okay, here we go. How can we do this? How can we worship in the service? I'm not talking about outside. That's, that's a whole other discipleship sermon. I'm talking about worship within here, within here because we're getting ready to do this here in just a little bit. Okay, We're going we're gonna to worship him by singing. There's all kinds of ways to worship God outside of the service too. But today I just want to talk about singing. How can we worship him in the ser- service? You know what's interesting? The New Testament doesn't really deal with it too much. There's not a lot of reference in the New Testament to how we're supposed to worship God. And at first you might scratch your head and you might think, well, why is that? Why hasn't the New Testament dealt with that issue? I think it's because the Old Testament had it right. Right? This was the, <laughs> this was the Israelites' songbook, okay? And they kind of already had it figured out. And so when God started his church... I don't think he really needed to instruct his people how to worship because they already kind of had it figured out. And there's all kinds of ways to worship God. And some legalists might say that, well, that's in the Old Testament and we're not bound by that anymore because we can't. We see all these things in the Old Testament, but the New Testament doesn't necessarily issue uh, anything about it. And so we're not bound by the Old Testament and the the New Testament doesn't say anything about it. And so uh, we don't know what to do. Right. Here's my opinion. Okay, the God of the universe enjoyed being worshipped for centuries in this way. And then he starts his church and the God who never changes, changed his mind (laughs) and said, no, I don't like being worshipped that way anymore. Let's do it a different way. Listen to what the Old Testament says. And how we should worship the God who never changes. Here are some words. I want to go through some words. And I can't remember if it was Jonathan Pakluda. One of the guys at the Spire Conference talked about these different Hebrew words. That I think most of us are probably pretty uncomfortable with. (laughs) But these are not only acceptable ways to worship. According to the book of Psalms it's expected. The word yada. Lifted hands. Psalm 63, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. It's uncomfortable for some of us, isn't it? You know, we're not used to it. Oh, man, if I raise my hands and the person behind me is going to think I'm some kind of religious nut, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to raise my hands. I can't remember if I put my deodorant on this morning or not. I'm just going to keep them down. Like, we come up with all kinds of excuses, and we're instructed. We are instructed. To praise Him by lifting our hands. Not, again, not only in an acceptable way, but an expected way. Right? Halal means to shout. Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. This is where our word hallelujah comes from, right? Hallelujah. How many of you say hallelujah? No, it's hallelujah. You shout it out. It's loud. God expects that. Again, I'm not trying to change us into some charismatic, you know, doing things we're not used to doing. But these, these are things that the, the, the church did. Tehillah, a hymn, a new song, a psalm. Psalm 22.3 is an example of this. Look that up. Write it down in your notes. Look it up. Zamar, touch the strings of a musical instrument. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, holy one of Israel. The word Barak, kneel down in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 34.1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. In his book, Experiencing God in Worship, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time as I'm telling this closing illustration. George Barna, a Christian author and researcher, says that the, the main reason... Millions of people in America go to church every week is not to worship God, but instead to have a pleasing experience. That's what he says. People come to church to have a pleasing experience. He goes on to say that most Americans go to church to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Amazingly, a few people admitted to the fact that uh, worshiping God is something that they primarily do for God. But most of them said, no, I go to church for what I can get out of it, what the church can do for me. Barna says this is something that's got to change. He says we've got to forget about ourselves, concentrate on him. He has to become the primary focus of our worship. If he's not, I think we're in trouble. But I'm going to just go out on a limb and say that type of genuine worship is not going to happen, first of all, until you know him, until you know him personally. And maybe there are some of you out there today, you've never surrendered your life to Christ in the first place. You've never made that decision to follow him and be baptized in him, start living for him. That's where it starts. We want to offer you that chance to do that during any of these songs. Kendall and I will be up here at the front. If you need to make a decision this morning, you walk down to the front. We'll be here to meet with you, pray with you, talk to you about what you need to do to give your life to Christ. But I'm going to guess that most of you have already made that decision and you find yourself in this state of, of maybe not worshiping. The, we're all guilty of it. None of us have cornered the market. None of us have got it right. We all need work. Every single one of us in this room. And so what I want you to do while we're worshiping is I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about that. I want you to worship enthusiastically. And it might be weird, but don't be afraid to raise your hand. Or if you think the guy next to you needs to raise his hand, help him out. I don't care. But maybe somebody just needs to come forward and re-surrender their life to Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Um, I want you to put everything else out of your mind. Our worship team's going to play some songs. We're going to worship together, and I want you to enthusiastically worship God for everything that He's done for you. Attribute the worth to Him that you know He deserves. Let's pray.